Treason has been a word that's been tossed around quite a bit lately. Is it possible that the President of the United States could be the most serious traitor in many, many decades? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Among the myriad of ugly, nonsensical offenses tweeted out by our outgoing president, possibly the most egregious was his cavalier use of the charge of treason against people who would, in normal times, be recognized as simply the loyal opposition. And at the same time, and not without reason, he, Trump himself, has also been called a traitor. What could be more treasonous than to attempt a coup as he is openly doing? Trump has so cavalierly thrown out the word treason at others, all too often with deadly violence against innocent Americans resulting directly from his inflammatory and hateful remarks. But treason, really? Is that the right word? After all, treason is a very serious capital offense, sometimes punishable by death. There is perhaps no other political accusation as damning as traitor. It's such a serious accusation, the words traitor and treason must never be thrown around lightly. But they have been. If someone is to be charged with a capital crime, there really should be no ambiguity about what constitutes that offense. But there surely is. Our guest today, Professor and legal historian Carlton Larson, has a new book out addressing this very dilemma. It's called On Treason, A Citizen's Guide to the Law. So we're going to be asking a whole bunch of things and speculating a bit. What by actual law constitutes the crime of treason? As we've seen throughout uh, the world, with the term terrorist, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. Could that uh, be, uh, could people who are considered traitors by some be revered as brave, selfless patriots by others? Is there real treason going on? And if so, what can be done about it? Going forward after the awful, tumultuous, and astoundingly hateful Trump era, isn't it time to ratchet back wild, emotionally driven charges of treason amongst fellow citizens? Perhaps by looking at the legal definition of treason, as opposed to the way it's used for rhetorical mudslinging, we may reactivate our democracy, which has been so injured in the polarized and hyperbolic Trump era. Carlton F.W. Larson is a Martin Luther King Jr. Professor of Law at the University of California Davis School of Law, where he teaches American constitutional law and English and American legal history. A graduate of Harvard College and Yale Law School, Larson is one of the nation's leading authorities on the law of treason. Thanks so much for being with us, uh, Professor uh, Larson Carlton. Your earlier work looked into the murky legal territory of enemy combatant detentions. What inspired you to write on treason at this moment in history? Well, treason is a subject I've been interested in for a long time. Actually, I started uh, writing about it when I was in college. I wrote my senior thesis on uh, the subject of treason in the American Revolution. Um, and then I got um, interested in how it related to enemy combatant detentions and 
uh, then I continued the research I did on the revolution in my uh, first book, which is called The Trials of Allegiance, uh, Treason Juries, and the American Revolution. But the whole time I was working on this, this was, I must say, pretty obscure work. Um, you know, sure. it, it was, I, it was very fascinating. It was deeply fascinating to me, uh, but it wasn't something that you know, permeated public discussion at all. Well, it is now. Um, and <laughs> it certainly is now. And boy, things have changed. So uh, they started changing in 2016. I started yeah. getting uh, phone calls uh, from the media uh, asking whether Donald Trump had committed treason. And then uh, after he took office uh, and there were more revelations about Michael Flynn and other uh, Russian connections, I started getting all kinds of uh, queries um, asking whether these charges, if true, uh, constituted treason against the United States. And I had never received a phone call like that about Barack Obama uh, or about uh, George W. Bush. Uh, and so I, at the time, my literary agent suggested, well, why don't you write a sort of a short book on treason for a, you know, the layperson that would kind of explain some of these basics of treason law. I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I'm trying to finish up this first book, and I don't have time to do that. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized, hey, everybody's talking about what I'm interested in, and that may not, that might not happen again. So uh, I should I should seize the moment here, uh, and if everybody's going to be talking about this, well, I should be part of that conversation, too. So uh, that's what uh, triggered the book. Every now and then, it's good to let the market drive actions. <laughs> uh, and the market is clearly there for this. Now, I have no idea how often America's tweeter-in-chief thrust the accusation traitor and treason out there. Who were some of these targets? And do you think he understood the meaning of the words, or he just knew they would inflame and deepen divides to his advantage? Do you think it was... Well, I don't think it, yeah. Uh, I, mean, no, sorry. I was just going to ask, do you think it was strategic or merely impulsive? Well, I mean, I think with him, so much of the stuff is just sort of knee-jerk, uh, impulsive uh, behavior. Right. And the term traitor here is just used as sort of the generic term for somebody who really doesn't like in the same way, you know, he uses fake news not to mean that it's wrong, but simply that it's unflattering or <laughs> negative to him. And so, I mean, if you look at the people who have been accused of this, they're all essentially people who... Uh, you know, don't like Trump, right? you know, FBI agents or uh, Comey or Nancy Pelosi or, you know, Barack Obama, now even Joe Biden. Uh, you know, these these are clearly utterly frivolous uh, claims uh, that he's making. And, and I, I suspect he hasn't the faintest clue what treason is hmm. uh, as a legal matter. Amazing how he could he, he could throw that out there. And, you know, words have power. He doesn't seem to understand that. And especially words in the law. I mean, words are very, having worked in a law factory myself in the New Hampshire State Senate where we made the laws, words matter a great deal, but it doesn't, not to him, I guess not. Well, I mean, I think, you know, presidential words used to be the most significant words in the country. Yeah, I mean, they move markets, they can start wars. Uh, and for a president to say that an American citizen has committed treason, I mean, that's the president of the United States saying that a particular person has committed you know, the highest crime known to the law. And that, that would have been front-page news uh, in almost any other administration. But now, because of the, the sort of the persistent debasement of presidential rhetoric, uh, it often doesn't even make the news at all. It's just one more, you know, bit of the bile spewing through his Twitter feed. Every single day, every single day, I'm just amazed. And, you know, I, I like history. I like looking at history. Maybe maybe if I didn't know history so much, I wouldn't be as amazed. But I 
probably would be anyway. But the Republicans in Congress have been quite uh, uh, cowardly. They never dare criticize him for using such intentionally volatile words. Surely many of them knew better. Did they know it and ignore the great damage with the awareness that it would also activate their base? And what kind of long-term damage do you think has been done by Republican members of Congress acquiescence in the use of these outrageous words? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty disturbing. Uh, I mean, I do think they know most of them know better, certainly the ones who are lawyers know better. And it's clear that you know, Attorney General Bill Barr knows better. I mean, he's, he's been asked about this in interviews, and he said, you know, none of these things are, are treason as a legal matter. Um, I, you know, I, I, I guess um, to the extent Republican members of Congress are not deliberately amplifying these claims, I suppose that's a small notch uh, in their favor. Uh, to the extent that they're simply silent about them, that's uh, a mark against them in the sense that, you know, clearly they should suggest that rhetoric like this has no place um, in our democracy and that we, you know, really can't go around calling our political opponents traitors. Uh, you know, if we're going to have a two-party system, there's going to be people on the other side, uh, and they are not criminals simply because they have different political beliefs. Boy, I don't think Trump gets that. I, I don't know the man particularly, but I, I just... The idea of that that people can have different opinions and still be part of the system. When I saw uh, he and uh, Joe Biden at the first debate, you could from his body language you could tell who he, this guy has no right to be here. This is mine. I own it, and he doesn't seem to understand that. And boy, who knows how long it'll take for him to figure out a few things like he lost. Now, looking a bit at the history of of the term treason and traitor. British subjects in the colonies against taxation without representation, of course, led to the War of Independence. Surely the rebellious colonists must have been uh, condemned rather, as traitors. In what ways, as you put it, is the story of treason law the story of America itself? So uh, in the American Revolution, right, the um, American colonists rebelled against uh, Great Britain, and you know, for a year levied war against their king, and then a year later, uh, after the war started, declared independence. Uh, during that first year, 1775 to 76, they were clearly committing treason uh, against the king by levying war against the king, and then the king not accepting independence from the British view. This was treason all the way through until uh, the Treaty of Paris in 1783. Uh, so our National story is a story of people who were willing to commit treason mm. um, because they they thought you know that the government was acting inappropriately and they wanted to initially to reform that government and then finally to overthrow it. Uh, so treason is absolutely central uh, to the American Revolution and in terms of forming our national identity and who then was viewed as potentially a traitor to the new United States. But then if you think about the Civil War, um, you know, that is the biggest uh, act of mass treason in our history, uh, with hundreds of thousands of people levying war against uh, the United States. And so there, too, uh, treason is sort of absolutely essential part uh, of that story. So our two most significant formative events, the Revolution and the Civil War, uh, in many ways, are actually all about treason. Mm-hmm that some people saw as treason, others saw as heroic patriotism. For example, the war against Southern independence 
which my understanding of the term civil war is they were both two sides are fighting to take over a central government. That wasn't the case here. I mean, uh, in Spain, the Spanish Civil War, yeah, that was a civil war. But in any event, I, I imagine others could at the time see the Civil War as a continuation of the earlier War of Independence, with the southern states, like the former colonies, underrepresented in our nation's capital, and that allegiance to a new nation was not at all treason in that nation, but was seen as courageous patriotism. Was that rebellion not kind of, I mean, it, it, it could be, I would think, legitimately seen as carrying forward the rebellion in the 1770s, which, of course, is now considered great patriotism. Your thoughts? Well, so the Southerners, many of them invoked the revolution and argued that they were simply you know, carrying on uh, what Washington and Jefferson had done. Uh, but I think there's a real difference between the revolution and the Civil War. In the revolution, Americans had no representation in Parliament at all. Uh, zero. Uh, by contrast, the Southerners were not only represented in the federal government, uh, they were actually, in many ways, grossly overrepresented. Um, they were overrepresented because of the Three-Fifths Clause um, that allowed uh, the enslaved people in the South to count towards representation in the House of Representatives, even though those people were given uh, no vote. Right. Uh, and Southerners had controlled, for the most part, the federal government for since the beginning of the country. Uh, only in the 1860 election did they actually um, seem to lose uh, a presidential election. They had, at that time, a very strong fugitive slave law mm. uh, that was uh, resented and resisted by northern states. They had the, won the Dred Scott decision, 7-2 in 1857 in the Supreme Court. Uh, and so the Southerners, uh, you know, they were in a very different position than were the American colonists in 1776. And so they essentially just had a, a fit over not losing a presidential election over, that they thought they uh, should have won. Uh, but they had every right to participate in that election, and indeed because of the three fifths clause were arguably overrepresented uh, in the Electoral College votes. But wasn't it the case that Abraham Lincoln wasn't even on the ballot in those states? He wasn't in, in a number of the southern states, uh, and that's just partly because uh, many of those states didn't put him on the ballot. Right. So if, you, so if you wanted to vote for him, you, you couldn't have voted for him. Uh, but I suspect there wouldn't have been many votes for Lincoln, um, even if he had yeah. been for now. I, I can imagine he had to sneak into town to get uh, inaugurated. Now, of course, after Lincoln was assassinated, the president became Andrew Johnson, and he very much, very much supported the South, and he did all he could to restore the ruling uh, aristocracies to their antebellum positions of power. He was impeached, but I doubt I doubt he was ever referred to as a traitor. I don't know. But by doing his best to overturn the results of the conflict, would the label traitor have possibly fit him? Um, well, certainly not as a, um, as a technical legal matter. Um, as, as a sort of a political description, perhaps, uh, in terms of the, you know, the, out, the outcome of the Civil War, uh, and Johnson's sort of an interesting figure because he actually starts out re really being quite punitive uh, toward the South. He insists that you know the treason must be made odious uh, uh, in his in his sort of famous phrase. And then he so much shifted um, once he got into office after the assassination. And I think this was in part uh, just based on his own you know inherent racism and seeing you know the reality of you know what black suffrage would look like uh, in the South. He he was not able to reconcile himself. 
uh, to that. So he's sort of over the, over the course of his presidency became much more reactionary uh, on a lot of these issues and ended up siding, you know, as you know, with um, white Southerners against uh, Reconstruction, which ended up led um, in part to his impeachment. But but he was president of the reunited country and kind of, well, I guess it was going against some of the uh, specifics of it, but not, you know, he wasn't against the country per se. He was just uh, not recognizing the outcome of the war in some senses. Fast forward to 100 years later, America's war in Vietnam. There were very vocal domestic disagreement with that including myself. There were years and years of protest, yet the war continued to go on and on and on. In 1967, the Quakers, the American Friends uh, Service Committee leaders, thus decided to do something radical. They challenged the U.S. State Department restrictions on American charitable organizations at the time. So in 1967, the AFSC and a Quaker action group sponsored the covert voyage of the Phoenix, a ship whose mission was to help the victims of the war in North Vietnam, especially in Haiphong. Now, North Vietnam was designated our enemy at the time. To some, they were giving aid and comfort to the enemy. And isn't that phrase uh, a part of what treason means, giving aid and comfort to the enemy? And in so doing, could the charge of treason be applied to these uh, Quakers? Yes, yeah, so that's a very interesting question. So the uh, the term aid and comfort comes from Article 3, which is what defines treason in our Constitution. So it's limited to loving war against the United States or adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. And enemies here has a very sort of technical legal meaning in that it is it has to be a uh, foreign nation or foreign group with whom the United States is in a state of open war. Um, and that did describe uh, North Vietnam, even though there was no formal declaration of war by Congress. It clearly was a, a war that we were engaging in. Uh, so the North Vietnamese could possibly have been considered enemies under the treason clause. And then the question is whether that particular type of aid uh, counts as uh, aid and comfort that would be treasonous. Uh, and there's not a lot of clear case law on this point. Uh, but to the extent that there is, it suggests that um, the aid really has to be aid that is related to the enemy's military efforts. Uh -huh. So, for example, so if you simply, let's say you donated a piece of art to the enemy's art museum, uh, that I suspect would probably not be treason. Um, or if you donated some money to create a national force in the enemy's country, uh, I don't think that would be uh, treasonous. Um, so it would depend on, so if, if it's raising money to aid victims of the war, you know, that's, that's probably argue a little bit closer, but potentially could be seen as, as a humanitarian thing that mm -hmm. would uh, not technically be uh, treason. I think it would turn very much on um, the facts of you know, what ex exactly was, was being aided. If, for example, it was to help North, North Vietnamese soldiers recover so they could then go fight mm -hmm. in the war, uh, that would be uh, much closer uh, to treason. Indeed, it sounds like it would. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about a couple of words that are very much in the news these days. Treason, traitor. And our guest today is uh, legal historian Carlton Larson, who is uh, one of the nation's leading authorities on the law of treason. He's got a new book out called On Treason, 
A Citizen's Guide to the Law. Well, what is the law specifically on treason? It's in the Constitution, I believe. Perhaps you could, uh, as our professor, tell us what the law is. Yeah, so every nation has some type of treason law, which sort of broadly defined covers uh, betrayals of the nation, usually in some type of national security context. Uh, the United States is unique in that our uh, treason law is, is defined in our Constitution itself. It's in Article 3, uh, which says uh, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. And so that means is that Congress can't change uh, the definition of treason and by making a more expansive uh, statute. Uh, and this was based in part on experience under uh, British rule um, over concern of abuses of uh, treason charges prior uh, to the revolution. Uh, and so uh, the two strands, living war against the United States and hearing the enemies, we can sort of roughly describe them as sort of internal and external treason. Uh, living war against the United States generally meaning, uh, you know, raising a, <clears throat> an armed force to overthrow uh, the government and then aiding enemies is essentially, you know, interactions with foreigners uh, with whom we are in a state of open war. And so all of the um, decided cases dealing with treason are all interpretations uh, of these two phrases. Aha, uh -huh. interpretations. And that's always, it does get muddy there. That is for sure, for sure. You can think of so many different cases during the First World War when there were a lot of Americans who were opposed to the First World War. And then I can't help but think that a lot of people called those opposed to our participation in the war traitors and treasonous. But there was a difference of opinion there. They weren't necessarily supporting uh, people, a country that we were making war with. They just didn't want the war. And with regard to Vietnam, I, many of us came to the sad realization that our war in Vietnam went very strongly against our founding principles and values, and that I, by definition, America, I always thought was a beacon for the oppressed. That's how we sold ourselves to the world. I had been taught that we were always on the side of those nations seeking independence from colonial powers. The people of Vietnam won their war of independence from France, of course, in 1954. And no doubt some of us who protested were called traitors. But I would argue that those of us who fought against the war were the real patriots. Our state policy twisted America into being the bad guys in Vietnam. The massive anger at Presidents Johnson and Nixon certainly could be said to be rooted in deep patriotism. Others might see it differently. If one aspect of patriotism is standing for our principles and against all enemies, foreign and domestic, could it not be argued that those leaders uh, who would many uh, would see as un-American could themselves be considered traitors to the principles and values? I guess not legally, but you know, just a consideration. Your thoughts? Well, I think they certainly wouldn't be viewed as as traitors legally, um, because you know, what one with with a lot of these wars, what one is describing is a very heated uh, and disputed policy disputes as to whether. Uh, the war you know, advances the nation's interests and is consistent with our heritage or not. And we've had those debates over uh, many of our wars. I mean, yes. about the Iraq War and Vietnam War and certainly World War One, which you mentioned there. Um, thousands of people went to jail yes. uh, for protesting the war, not under treason charges, but under sedition and uh, espionage charges. Um, so there's there's been a long history of debate over wars and sometimes governmental abuse uh, of the people who are 
protesting the, the war. Um, but I think in, in general, um, one is best off leaving the treason rhetoric aside, mm-hmm. um, even in these heated uh, policy disputes, just because it can be so easily turned back on you. Um, because if you know your argument is the war is wrong, and the people leading it are traitors, well, they'll simply say, no, the war is right, and you are traitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and ultimately not much is advanced um, by including those terms in addition to uh, the very honest and uh, pointed disagreements about the policy. That, I think, is a good point. It doesn't move us forward. And use the word sedition. What? Well, I'm not exactly sure what that means. How does that, what does sedition mean? How does that relate to treason and uh, being a traitor? It's, it's, it's a sort of a, a broad term, and it can mean different things in uh, different contexts. Uh, the way it came up in World War I was uh, the 1918 uh, Sedition Act, mm-hmm. uh, which, among other things, mm-hmm. uh, forbid any um, speech which had the tendency to you know, bring the government of the United States into disrespect, uh, which is you know, incredibly uh, broad law. You know, people like Theodore Roosevelt said it was obviously unconstitutional. He personally would give the government an opportunity uh, to test it. Uh, remnants of that, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's still things like seditious conspiracy, for example, like, you know, pl- uh, putting together a plot um, to destroy or attack, um, you know, the government or government buildings. Uh, so it really kind of depends on a, a specific context. But it tends to be one of those words that also is tossed about, uh, often without any legal uh, precision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just say, oh, this person is a traitor, or this person is seditious, or whatever, and it doesn't often really have any clear meaning. Yeah. Yeah, precision is very important when it comes to the law. That is for sure. And I'm remembering some of the, uh, I went to quite a few protests against the war in Vietnam, and after a while, people got really frustrated, and you started to see flags of the uh, so-called Viet Cong, the uh, National Liberation Front, I think they were called, at, at some of the protests. Uh, could that not have been seen? I mean, we were fighting them. The people under that flag and the flag of North Vietnam were shooting at our boys in Vietnam. Was was that treason, do you think? I mean, I can imagine some people would see that it would be. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I mean, that would be core free speech protected uh-huh. um, under our under our First Amendment. Uh, and so for the most part, you know, one is free to criticize the government as much as we want. Uh, and indeed, you know, you can write editorials supporting the other side in a war. You can say that the war was wrong. You can do all kinds of things. Uh, and that's all going to be protected uh, by free speech. Uh, where it gets interesting is if you actually do it in coordination with the enemy. Uh-huh. And so there were cases uh-huh. there from World War II where you had uh, you know, radio broadcasters who had, you know, broadcast from Berlin on Radio Berlin. These are American citizens during the war, you know, Ooh. spreading propaganda, Thanks. and and they argued the First Amendment in defense and said, "Well, hey, we're we're free to say what we want," uh, and the courts all rejected that and they said, "Well, yeah, you can say whatever you want here in the United States, uh, but what you don't get to do is go <laughs> be a propagandist for the enemy in the enemy radio station broadcasting from enemy territory. That's clearly." Uh, treason by eating the enemy. Indeed. <laughs> it would seem to pretty much uh, clearly be that. I I had never heard any of those broadcasts. But, uh, I think I would have pretty got, got pretty mad at them because there was a clear enemy back then in World War II. And actually, and one of those individuals yeah. was the poet Ezra Pound, who um, oh, right. broadcast from Mussolini's Italy and then was charged with treason 
here in the United States, and he escaped because he was declared mentally unfit to stand trial. But I think almost certainly that was a lie. His doctors just did that mm. uh, in order to protect uh, you know, a famous poet from going to prison. But he spent the next 12 years in uh, St. Elizabeth's in, in Washington, D.C. Mm. But he was supporting the Mussolini factor, uh, faction, yeah. huh? Mm. Not nice. Huh. We have these state lines and country lines that have been drawn on a map that are not uh, permanent. They were not drawn by God. Throughout the 20th and now 21st centuries, there have been many independence movements. In the early 1960s, the subject colonies in Africa, such as the formerly Belgian Congo, more recently there were independence wars in Eritrea, Sudan, very recently North Macedonia in the Balkans. Good old World War One comes up again. What about the notion of treason in those cases? I, I can imagine there would be powers, and those laws are not our laws for sure, but the notion of, of treason and traitors in those cases. Again, you know, some people's uh, uh, traitors are other people's freedom fighters. Your thoughts? So I think that's right. You know, I don't know the specific laws of those countries, but to the extent that you know they do have treason laws, one of the core things you don't get to do is you know dismember your country by violent force. You know that's that's going to be one of the things that's going to be right up there uh, as as an act of treason. But of course, you know in many of those cases, we we think that the people fighting to secede are are in the right. And there's this famous line from John Harrington, I think, from the, you know, from the Renaissance period, where he says, "You know, treason doth never prosper. Uh, what's the reason?" Uh, for if it prosper, none dare call it treason. Uh-huh. Uh, meaning that you, if there's no such thing as a successful traitor, right? Because if you've won, you've won, right? And that's why George Washington is, is you know, a, a founder of the of the United States and not a hanging British traitor because he won. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? You know, uh, and so that's that's often these things you know turn very much on. Uh, which side wins, and you know you're, take, you're, take, you're taking a risk, right? That uh, if you lose, this is what's going to happen to you. Wow, that's a good point. It takes real commitment. I can think of the Irish; they got uh, punished pretty badly. Scottish uh, in the uh, what 17th century, I think it was, or maybe 18th century. Yeah, 18th century. That uh, yeah, if you lose, you really lose. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the other variant of it is, you know, if you strike at the king, you must kill him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. It can be done, and then, geez, there probably are cases where somebody strikes at the king and then becomes king himself. Whoa. Yeah, well, I mean, you could say that that was, you know, the Glorious Revolution in 1688 when, you know, William and Mary overthrow uh, James II. It's, um, uh, you know, it's clearly, you could say 1066 is that, I suppose, in some ways, you know, William the Conqueror conquering... Um, England. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, you know Richard the Third being defeated by Henry the Seventh at Bosworth Field. And those were, you know, had they gone the other way, um, we wouldn't remember them as kings, but as as traitors. So if you're going to commit treason, be very skilled at it. <laughs> <laughs> be very careful. That's, okay. that's the lesson today. Be really good at it, and. You know, if, if people in the 2020s know anything about uh, 1953, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, my guess is that if they've heard of them at all and know anything about them at all, 
the thinking is they were executed for treason. If they had been guilty of providing our enemies with secret information about uh, making an atomic bomb, why would that not be considered treason? Because they weren't executed for treason, were they? No, they weren't. Uh, and this is this is you know, a great example of of treason law because everybody you know you're right I think thinks about them as having committed treason and indeed at the at the trial themselves itself uh, you know the prosecutor used the term treason occasionally the judge even used the term treason uh, but that actually wasn't what the trial was for it was uh, espionage charges and technically it was conspiracy to commit espionage. Uh, and the reason they couldn't be charged with treason was that they were charged with passing secrets to the Soviet Union, and we were not in a state of open war with the Soviet Union. I mean, it was the Cold War. They were clearly a hostile adversary, but they weren't technically an enemy, uh, and therefore they couldn't be prosecuted for treason. Uh, now, I think this is an important point because it means that you know treason isn't our primary um, means of dealing with national security threats. Right? So just because something isn't treason you know, it doesn't mean it's not a very serious crime. In their case, indeed, even a capital crime. Uh, and so there's a lot of other statutes um, that we routinely use to get at various types of disloyalty that doesn't uh, rise to the technical level of treason. But they could be pretty darn serious crimes as well. I mean, Julius and Ethel, guilty or not, they were, in fact, executed. And there had not been a lot of... <laughs> Uh, trials on on treason. Actually, your book on treason looks at how the law on uh, treason has been applied to both the famous and infamous actions of people like John Brown, Tokyo Rose, Edward Snowden, Jane Fonda, and Aaron Byrne. There are at least two sides to each story. Many of them, many people consider those named as heroes, all of them. Others as vile traitors who should be put up against a wall and shot. In fact, I had, I know somebody in this uh, area who said that uh, Edward Snowden should be put up against the wall and shot. So, tell us about some of those cases, please, as it relates to uh, treason. Sure. Uh, so starting with, with John Brown, this is uh, a fairly fascinating story because it involves the crime of treason against the state. Um, so everything we've been talking about before is, has all been uh, treason against the United States. Uh, but individual states also have their own treason laws. Really? And so you can commit uh, treason against a, a particular state. So uh, John Brown, uh, what he did, you know, he led the, the famous raid on Harper's Ferry in 1859, and he was charged with treason against the state of Virginia uh, for levying war against Virginia. And he and one of his associates, Edwin Coppock, were hanged uh, for that crime. They're the only people executed uh, for the crime of treason against the state since our Constitution was adopted. And, of course, for many people, um, and now admittedly more now than probably in 1859, uh, viewed him as a, as a hero, uh, as someone who was trying to uh, end the institution of slavery. Uh, but for Virginia, this was viewed as a you know, sort of horrifying attack uh, on the mm -hmm. state's sovereignty and that this was someone who, who clearly deserved uh, to swing... Uh -huh. From the gallows. Indeed. Tokyo Rose. Yeah, Tokyo Rose is also another fascinating case. This is a person who, sort of in popular legend, has sort of becoming one of the ultimate villains, right? you know, along with Axis Sally in, in World War oh, II. Right. Uh, but the scholars who have, who have looked into this uh, have really found that the, the real story is very different 
um, than the myth. Um, mm. The so-called Tokyo Rose was a young woman named uh, Iva Tagori, uh, who uh, grew up in Los Angeles, uh, graduate of UCLA, and when uh, her uh, aunt became very seriously ill in Japan, uh, she was sent as a family representative to visit the aunt. Uh, and then uh, she essentially ended up trapped behind enemy lines when uh, the Pearl Harbor attack happened. Uh, she didn't speak Japanese. She had really no connection to Japanese culture, but she wasn't able to get home uh, because of, of passport problems. And so she ended up taking a job uh, with Radio Tokyo, uh, where she could use some of her English language skills. Uh, and then she later ended up being a host on a, uh, a Japanese uh, show called Zero Hour, uh, which played uh, various musical selections and aimed it at uh, American troops. And so after the war, uh, the Justice Department looked into her case, and they determined that she hadn't done anything wrong. All she had done was introduce musical selections, made a few sassy quips, and, and, and that was it. Um, but then two years later, uh, the Justice Department changed its mind, Oops. Uh, and she was charged with treason uh, in a trial in San Francisco, um, the prosecution struck all people of color from the jury, so she was tried in front of an all-white jury in sort of an mm. uh, era, era of sort of more hysteria about national security, uh, and she was convicted uh, and ended up spending a number of years in a federal prison in West Virginia. Mm. Uh, she was eventually received a pardon uh, from President Gerald Ford as more facts about her case came to light, uh, and some of the key witnesses in her case she tracked and admitted that they had lied uh, in their testimony. Um, and so it was really quite a, a tragic case, um, uh, what, what happened to her. Oh. Now, Edward Snowden, I, as I said, I, there was somebody in town who, people, so a lot of people feel like he's a traitor. I don't, actually. He, but but, but tell, tell us your assessment of Edward Snowden with regard to traitor and treason. Yeah, so I think Snowden, um, it comes down to uh, you know, partly um, his intent, um, and then also kind of to, to some extent to what he did. Uh, so, you know, he released you know, a massive amount of American national security material. Yes. Um, some of that he had reviewed, much of it, most of it he hadn't. And so he really had no idea what he was releasing. Um, I think that makes him somewhat different than, say, Dan Ellsberg, who had really, you know, carefully read through the Pentagon Papers before mm -hmm. uh, he released what he did. Uh, and I think the national security implications of Snowden's actions were were quite significant. Um, and I, I do wish that he had not done what he did, even if it did have some incidental benefit of uh, revealing some bad behavior by the government. But it's not, I don't think, treason uh -huh. uh, unless he uh, intended to aid the enemy. So if he had taken this material, for example, and handed it over to the Taliban mm -hmm. or to Al-Qaeda, uh, I think that would be uh, treason yeah. by aiding them. But he didn't hand it to them. He handed it to a newspaper, and, or I guess WikiLeaks or whoever it was he handed it to. Um, and you say, well, that could indirectly help those enemies. Uh, but without any intent to aid those enemies, uh, I don't think it can be treason because I think his view is not to strengthen Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. uh, his intent was to expose what he saw as governmental wrongdoing. Uh, but he was promptly denounced by a traitor, as I noted in the book, by Ted Cruz and Dianne Feinstein. I mean, both of them yeah. um, used the, you know, the T word here on uh, Edward Snowden. And they don't agree on much, but they did, they did agree on that. 
Well, she's gone uh, around the corner, as uh, Trump has said about other things as well. <laughs> um, and for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about a new book on treason by uh, a national, one of the nation's leading authorities on the law of treason, uh, Carlton Larson, a professor at uh, University of California. And... Uh, your, as your book explains, the last person to be executed for treason was somebody I hadn't heard of, quite frankly, Hippolito Salazar. Why did that only come to light recently? I don't know anything about this. Yeah, this was a a story that um, I'm still kind of in shock about. Uh, I had said in a 2017 Washington Post article that no one had been executed under federal authority for treason since the adoption of the Constitution. Uh, and I was relying on essentially every other piece of treason scholarship that has ever looked at this issue has said the same thing, that no one has been executed uh, by the federal government as a traitor since the Constitution was adopted. Uh, but it turns out this is not true. Uh, and uh, there was such an execution. Um, it was known uh, to a handful of historians of the American Southwest, but they never made the connection to treason law and just how significant this was, that this really was the only execution. And the story comes from the Mexican-American War, ah. um, when uh, the United States and Mexico went uh, to war, and American troops invaded New Mexico, which at the time was part of right. Mexico. Right. And so they announced uh, on the ground that having, you know, now that they've been invaded, New Mexico is now part of the United States. And everybody living there was now an American citizen, and everybody who resisted the military was uh, guilty of treason. Oh, my. Uh, now, that is flatly wrong, mm. uh, because, I mean, if that were true, you know, then when the United States invaded Iraq in 2003, mm. uh, that would mean everybody in Baghdad was suddenly an American citizen, Iraq was now part of the United States, and anybody fighting the American military was guilty of treason. Um, it's totally absurd. That's not the way it, it works. Um, you know, we were an occupying military power, and until, um, you know, New Mexico was transferred to us as part of a peace treaty, as it was in 1848, uh, it was not part of the United States. And any military commander on the ground saying so doesn't make it so. <laughs> and so, but they went ahead and prosecuted uh, a number of people for treason, one of whom was Hippolito Salazar, uh, who had resisted the American military. Uh, and so he was executed uh, in Taos, New Mexico uh, in 1847 uh, for the crime of treason against the United States. And this was a Mexican man who spoke no English who had never set foot in the United States, tried for treason against the United States in a trial taking place in the Republic of Mexico. Uh, and that is the only person oh. uh, executed for treason against the United States. Why did this come to light only recently? Um, well, you know, I say historians of the Southwest have known about it uh, and have discussed it, uh, but it has never made it into the treason scholarship. Uh, uh, and, you know, it's, to me, it's one of those things that it really should have, you know, even more uh, resonance than that, because it, it was it was a, um, a scandal at the time. Uh, as news of this leaked back uh, to Washington, members of Congress uh, were utterly outraged uh, at what had happened. They think this was clearly wrong uh, on the basis of the law. And so the James Folk administration eventually had to admit uh, that yes, this was a legal mistake. Right? They had executed a legally innocent man, mm. uh, but they said, "Well, he was a bad guy anyway. You know, he was a 
he was a murderer, so it was really just a technical mistake uh, in the indictment. We called it treason. It should have been uh, murder. Um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting that, that they had to make that concession. Uh, well, he, he, he died. Anyway, that's that's a fact. <laughs> yeah, he, he died, and his, his last words um, were, um, I can say this on the radio, um, in Sp- I won't say the Spanish, but the, in, to translate English, it's F the Americans. Those are his last words. Uh-huh. Uh, he was being hanged. Well, what a surprise. <laughs> Imagine being... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, you know, Trump has, has used the word <clears throat> quite a bit, treason, traitor, and... I think about there was that uh, that seventeen year old kid with a AR fifteen. I don't know some kind of major uh, assault weapon to go in and kill some people. And uh, you know everybody agrees that a traitor is bad. He, he, calling somebody a traitor it does inflame things very badly. I wonder how common it is for authoritarians to invent and make up and and use the words treason and traitor to destroy and sometimes kill enemies i think it's exceptionally common i think that's just the standard part of, a, of an autocrat's and authoritarian's yeah. toolkit uh, is to stir up you know bo- boogeymen of national security and, and to insist that their enemies are all um enemies uh-huh. of the state oh. i mean uh that's i mean that's hitler's germany right i mean you know that that's exactly what happened um there it happens in another in, in a number of states where uh, you know, the government is trying to suppress people. I mean, if you think of it, in some ways, even the, you know, the national security law being imposed on Hong Kong uh, yeah. by, uh-huh. by China is the same thing. And it's always these sort of vague references to national security. Uh, you know, that's, that's where liberty goes to die. And, Oof. you know, one has to be particularly vigilant about those types of threats. And I do think that's something that the framers of our Constitution understood, and it's why they... Uh, included the treason definition they did mm. uh, because they really did not want it subject to you know floating political winds. Ah. That's that's a good point, and they uh, their brilliance still it amazes me. It it absolutely amazes me. Some of it needs updating, but boy, they did some good stuff, really brilliant. And I, I'm one, there's that also that case of the armed men in Michigan who tried to kidnap and allegedly intended to kill the legally elected, currently serving governor of Michigan. They could be charged with a number of things, but I wonder if they could be charged with treason as well. I mean, plotting to violently overthrow a legitimate government? Your thoughts on that? It's it's possible. Uh, So Michigan does have its own own treason law, uh, which would refer to levying war against Michigan. And I think if they actually carried out the plot and kidnapped the governor uh, in an attempt to alter... Michigan policy, that that would be uh-huh. uh, levying war against the state of Michigan. Now, historically, there's always been a distinction between actually doing it and conspiring to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, and a conspiracy to levy war wasn't treason, um, at least under American law. Under English law, it could be viewed as a type of compassing the king's death, but uh, we don't have that treason mm-hmm. here. So it seems like the Michigan people only got to the level of conspiracy. They didn't actually right. carry it out. So yeah. uh, couldn't have been done that. Uh, and then another interesting thing is, is if you, if they had simply killed the Michigan governor, it might not be uh, treason. And that's probably because of that same provision, encompassing the king's death, which was treason in England, simply to kill the king. 
Um, but that's not the case here. And so if you think about the assassinations of our presidents, right, those have not been viewed as uh, cases of treason. They've been viewed simply as uh, as murder cases. Yeah, yeah that, that's not very nice either, I must say. Um, <laughs> murder, you know, it's, it's, not, <laughs> right. it's sort of impolite, bad public relations. But there's, in my limited understanding of law, there's always the reasonable person standard. Many people did not see Trump's wild accusations of treason as unreasonable. Now, I wonder, you know, the founders were very careful when it came to charges of treason. And uh, how, how dangerous the fact that so many people kind of accepted uh, Trump throwing around the word treason, you know, those of us who protested against his policies, that we were traitors. How dangerous is that aspect to a functioning democracy, do you think? Yeah, in some ways, I think that's, that's more of a threat than anything Trump might actually do in office. You know, I, I think there's, there's, there's zero likelihood that the Justice Department is going to go out and charge some you know, random American citizen with treason. I mean, that's just not a yeah. credible thing to happen, uh, and a court would toss it out uh, immediately. But you know, to the extent that people honestly believe the President of the United States when he says certain people are traitors, it may very well encourage them uh, to you know, engage in yeah. in violent actions and um you know these are often not people with whom you can have a you know a long subtle discussion about legal niceties uh you know they're they're filed up uh and uh, perhaps have limited um information sources and so they're relying on the sure. word of the president who they trust uh and when what comes out of the president is not something that's reliable but just um uh, you know, blithering, dangerous nonsense. That's that's a real problem and a real threat. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I forget who it was. I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who talked about how important, how essential it was to have an educated citizenry in order to have a republic, a democracy. And if people don't, it, it's a problem. And the Republicans have been defunding public education for a long time with this in mind, I think. But that's a separate story. Now, uh, if... Is It is as it appears that in 2016, Donald Trump solicited and received aid from America's antagonist. Russia was not an enemy, per se. But if, as he leaves office, he were to sell classified secrets for his own profit, as he does seem to be interested in making money himself, if he sells them to those who would do harm to our agents in the field, would that fall under the legal definition of treason? I've heard thoughts that he might be doing that, like to Saudi Arabia and other places. Uh, it would depend who he sold it to. I mean, uh -huh. it could be sold it to actually open enemies, which again, at the moment, really, I think is, is probably limited to Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS. Um, that would be treason. But if it's simply uh -huh. to other countries, then that would not be treason, but would clearly be espionage. Uh, and I think... Uh, a president could, you know, be prosecuted for that after leaving office. I mean, one complication is that, you know, our statutory law seems to give the president significant discretion over yeah. uh, declassifying um, information, and mm. so, uh, you know, a president might have some defense based on that. And and part of the problem is our statutes, you know, always sort of operate under the assumption of, you know, relative good faith on the yeah. part of the president. Right. You know, so that, that you just you don't write them assuming that the you know president would you know sell off classified information. Right? It's just not a threat that you really think you have to worry about. Yeah. Um, and so, in so many ways, uh, you know, this has been a very anomalous 
administration. Um, and it's, it's hard to know how, you know, one would rewrite laws to try to prevent that sort of thing. Uh, you know, when you're, you know, you, you nail down one uh, abuse and then, you know, a hundred more pop up yep. you haven't thought. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? It's true. I mean, you know, you might disagree with the president, but it's it's kind of unthinkable, at least from my particular political position. What about the election is over? Clearly, one person won, one person lost. He, Donald Trump, is making an overt, not at all hidden effort to disregard the election and to stage a coup. And, you know, he's... He's trying to, he wants to instruct state legislators in at least one state to choose who won, to disregard. He, he is telling them you should, you should disregard the popular vote and choose Republican electors from your state. And they, they seek to upend the electoral process to sow chaos and perpetuate, perpetuate unsubstantiated doubts about the election. Does that, I, I, you know, from my understanding of the word treason, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? You, you're the expert on treason. It sounds kind of treasonous to me. What, what do you think? Well, it's, it's just utterly depressing. I mean, so when you think Trump can't go any lower, uh, <laughs> and that he there does. he goes. I mean, you know, in the last two weeks have been sort of, sort of, you know, low-level anxiety, not because I think there's any real likelihood any yeah. of these schemes are going to be success, successful, but just because, you know, there's some minuscule chance that they might be. Um, and, and more that it just sort of sows, you know, the confusion about who won the election. I mean, this is a pretty decisive and clear victory yeah. uh, by Joe Biden, but probably because of the way, you know, the order in which the votes were counted, and then by all of Trump's obfuscations, you have, you know, tons of people believing uh, completely inane conspiracy theories um, you know, which don't even make sense given the actual ballots. Uh, like in Pennsylvania, I mean, Biden did much better mm-hmm. than Hillary did in Republican counties. He did worse in Philadelphia, you know, supposedly a you know, Democratic huh. county. Um, so, you know, if you're going to rig an election, you don't do it that way. And you certainly don't make the mistake of forgetting to you know, rig the U.S. Senate and yeah, you know, really, lose, would... 11, lose 11 seats in the House. I mean, none of this makes the slightest uh, bit of sense. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, there's people there... Um, who believe it. Uh, now, I don't think any of this actually amounts to treason. Again, it's not eating the enemy, um, and it's not um, mm-hmm. loving war against the United States, because at the moment it doesn't involve um, any use of, of armed you know, force to try to overthrow the government. Uh, but it does raise this very sort of interesting question about um, what duties uh, a, a current president might have to an incoming president. Right? Because, you know, Trump like it or not, is president until noon on mm-hmm. on January 20th, uh, and therefore, you know, undermining Joe Biden, um, you know, certainly harmful, uh, you know, to the country and to the smooth progress uh, of mm-hmm. the administration. Um, but I think it'd be hard to say um, that it's treason. And, uh, t- and one might note, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to, you know, exonerate, I mean, what Trump has done here is, is, is completely beyond, you know, the, the bounds of any legitimate behavior. Um, but one could note that in 1800, I mean, John Adams more or less insisted that his loss was illegitimate uh, because it was based on the three-fifths uh, 
power um, that Southern states gained in the Electoral College, uh, he refused to attend Jefferson's inauguration, huh. and he and the lame duck Congress stuffed the judiciary with as many Federalists as they could uh, in order to make Jefferson's administration as difficult uh, as possible. But that was not... So, 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 these, so, some, so some of these things have, have happened in the past. Hmm. But that was not treason per se either. Staging a coup per se is not necessarily treason. It's ugly, it's not nice, it's anti-democratic, but it ain't necessarily treason. Yeah, well, I mean, one way of imagining is this, suppose suppose it was ballot stuffing. Suppose you had a, a ah, corrupt true. county official uh-huh. who you know altered the vote count and that flipped the election sure. you know, to one party or another. Uh, that's clearly a crime, right? I think that person would go to jail for a long time. Uh, but I don't think that crime is, is treason. Uh-huh. So it's a word we should be uh, prudent with, to use a word that George H.W. Bush uh, liked to use quite a bit. Fascinating stuff. Good to have you on here. The timing is perfect. Uh, the book is called On Treason, A Citizen's Guide to the Law, and its author has been our guest, uh, legal historian Carlton Larson. Thank you so much for uh, bringing some clarity to this messy, highly charged issue. Thanks so much. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Line up all those traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Line up all them traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Shoot down the ones that don't know the score. Shoot down the ones that we've seen them all before. Shoot down the ones who dare to ask for more. Just shoot them down. Just shoot them down. All them traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Line up all them traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Yeah, shoot down the ones that don't look like you or me. Shoot down the ones that refuse to see. Shoot down the ones who want to be free. Just shoot them down. Yeah, just shoot them down. traitors against the wall and shoot them down just line up all them traitors against the wall and shoot them down shoot down the ones that don't know what it's all about shoot down the ones that insist on casting doubt shoot down the ones who dare to speak out just shoot them down yeah just shoot them down Traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Line up all them traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Shoot down the ones that don't fit the mold. Shoot down the ones that complain about being cold. Shoot down the ones that dare to be cold. Just shoot them down. Just shoot them down. Traitors against the wall and shoot them down. I said, line up all them traitors against the wall and shoot them down. Yeah, shoot down the ones that seem a little flawed. Shoot down the ones that seem like they're a little bit odd. Shoot down the ones that don't believe in the same God. Just shoot them down. Yeah, just shoot them down. Traitors against the wall and shoot them down.